Hi everyone and welcome to lecture 11 for HEALT 1113. This week's topic is contemporary communication. So we're going to be looking at electronic communication, focusing on social media and social networking. Electronic communication can be defined as forms of communication which include, but are not limited to, emails, SMSs or short messaging services, YouTube, chat rooms, social media such as Facebook, Twitter, etc, blogs, the list goes on. So as we know there have been significant changes in methods of communicating and providing access to people with information. So how we access information and communicate with each other nowadays is very different to 20 years ago. In fact, we have become pretty reliant on this instantaneous access to information and communicating with one another. Particularly the rise and popularity of social media and social media sites have changed the communication landscape. So electronic communication typically allows simultaneous access of multiple people to messages or information in an easy and generally a cost-effective manner. Advantages of electronic communication include that it promotes expect or it promotes instantaneous communication. So it even promotes communication with people that you may not have seen for a while or people who are live geographically in a long distance. So it actually also promotes you being able to communicate with them in a more rapid manner. Another benefit of social media is it has been found, or social media and electronic communication in general, have been found to reduce feelings of social isolation. So people living in rural remote areas find that electronic communication makes them feel more connected to the wider community and the world for that matter. So the changes in forms of communication whether these forms of communication are either professional or personal, so whether it is a professional or a person using electronic media, highlight the need to consider the content and the effect of the message upon a diverse audience. So what that convoluted sentence basically means is these changes in communication as we have moved towards a more electronic form of communication highlight the need to investigate what are the effects of these electronic messages. How does communicating electronically change the message from when we communicate in a face-to-face -face setting? Along with these changes in the message being sent, we also have to consider privacy and security. So the privacy of the information that is being shared on electronic communication and how secure this information is. Health professionals must also learn to manage their social constructed identity. And what that means is managing your online profile as a health professional. How you present yourself online as a health professional has very important implications for your work. And we're going to discuss this a bit more further on. Firstly, as a consideration, what does your behavior online say about you? So here we can see three different profile pictures from the same person. How do these pictures convey different information about this woman? Even though it's exactly the same about me information, digital media assistant, studied publishing, lives in New York, what do those three different images say? Think to yourself, 
if you were actually going to see somebody as a counsellor or as a PT or as a nurse or a doctor, which of those images would you be most comfortable in seeing? Would it change depending on who you were seeing for what purpose? Would it change depending if you were seeing somebody as a nurse or a counsellor? Who would you be more interested in seeing as a personal trainer? So let's narrow in now and talk about social networking sites. So sites such as, but not limited to, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, the long forgotten MySpace, but also is included. Social networking sites have a number of uses. So social networking sites or SNSs are an interface to share information about personal or professional life and social events. Professionals also use social networking sites. In fact, many professionals have their own Facebook pages or Facebook groups for people to follow and like. Social networking sites allow people and professionals to communicate news about life in general and their lives, and also to share images with one another. These social networking sites allow social interactions beyond locality, again meaning they allow you to socially interact with people beyond just your local reach, so people in different cities, different countries across the world. Social networking sites and therefore electronic communication are liberating for people who might suffer from social anxiety, who also have limited verbal skills and who have limited mobility. So it allows them to keep connected with the outside world. As I said, these sites can also be used for more professional purposes. In addition to your own personal private Facebook page, professionals might also use their, um, or might decide, sorry, to have their own professional page. This could be even their own individual page, or some page, they create groups for colleagues. For example, your Health 1113 page on Facebook, which apparently exists, which I haven't seen, but I have news that it exists, this would also be considered a professional page. Pages for work, whether there are or depending where you work, if there is their own Facebook group or Facebook page about that company, organization, these would all be considered for professional purposes. The important implications, as I said, about electronic communication, and in particular we'll focus on social networking sites, is the message that you are sending across this medium, how the message is sent and received. The big problem with this electronic communication and SNSs is that the sender doesn't have instantaneous feedback about the message that they sent. Talking face-to-face -face with somebody, you constantly receive feedback. This person, whether they're making eye contact, if they look interested in what you're saying, whether they're nodding, whether they look upset, you constantly have feedback about how they are receiving the message that you are sending. And you might decide to alter that, depending if maybe they are looking upset, you will alter what you are saying. If they are looking disinterested, you might stop talking and ask them to talk. So we change our behaviour constantly based on that instantaneous feedback. But we don't have that online. We send the message, but we don't actually know how it's received. 
there are no verbal or non-verbal cues. Because of this lack of instantaneous feedback as well, this can have a tendency to distance the sender from the consequences of the message. And it's the idea of being, I guess, a keyboard warrior. What you might actually say online could be very different to what you say in person because that lack of feedback can distance them from those consequences. And that very fact and that distance can cause a disconnection between the sender and the receiver. And this importantly has really strong implications for health professionals communicating with clients, patients, people of interest on their Facebook social networking pages. So now we're going to move into the topic of cyberbullying. And why this is important to consider is that cyberbullying is a very specific behaviour, but it is also the behaviour that might get a bit lost in interpretation online. And sometimes I think we also consider cyberbullying to be a very specific behaviour that's easy to spot, but sometimes it can be a bit more subtle. And people could also be at risk of having committed cyberbullying without being aware of it. So very obvious examples are here, example two on Facebook. I mean, this is a very hurtful, obvious message that somebody is being bullied and also the SMSing. So just quickly, the definition of bullying itself is a deliberately aggressive act intending to harm, which is repeatedly performed by an individual or group. Now, generally for something to be considered bullying, instead of just it was an act of aggression, it needs that repeatedly performed. Now, repeatedly could be occurs twice, and that's then a repeat. That would be considered bullying. Just one instance might be more an act of aggression, but is still a hurtful act of aggression. However, the definition of bullying is that there, it was aggression, there was an intent to harm in some way, emotionally, physically, and it's repeatedly performed by an individual or a group of individuals. Now, cyberbullying is just the extension of bullying taking an electronic form of communication. So all of those different electronic forms of communication we discussed on the first slide, SMSs, emails, social media, what have you, all cyberbullying can occur across all of these different platforms. Cyberbullying can take the form of, but not limited to, sexual innuendos, labelling, ridiculing, threatening, lying, etc. On more professional sites, cyberbullying can take the form of personal attacks that are designed to obstruct or question professional abilities. In cyberbullying, there are three potential roles. The perpetrator, so the one who is performing cyberbullying, the victim, the person who is being bullied, and potential observers. Usually there will be a potential observers if it is cyberbullying on a social networking site. If they have posted this on a public forum or wall, there will most likely be people who observe this. Regardless of the role of either the observer victim or the cyber bully, research indicates the effects of cyberbullying have enduring negative consequences for all three roles as well. 
Some of these consequences include significant mental health problems such as lowered self-esteem, increased anxiety and increased insomnia. In some cases there are even reported suicides from victims of cyberbullying. Some more examples of cyberbullying can include, but again are not limited to, leaving someone out of online groups, stealing identities of people, spreading rumours online or through text, creating fake online personas to bully others, recording unauthorised videos or pictures and uploading them in an effort to humiliate people, sending mean messages or threats, the list continues. Why we have discussed cyberbullying in the electronic communication is to raise awareness that cyberbullying can sometimes be looked over and things that people actually do online. Technically, jumping back to this list, if you were to commit any of these acts twice, you have cyberbullied. Also, in the intent of the health professional or professionals online, again, attacking Professionals online or questioning their professional abilities can be considered as cyberbullying. And I really hope one of the, <laughs> the take-home messages from this lecture is that as budding health professionals to be very careful and aware of your online actions, that social identity that you are constructing online. Social media has implications for health professionals. Comments on social media sites are permanent and in some instances can even have legal implications. There can be a range of different interpretations of comments that people might see that you have written online. There can be misunderstandings, confusion and even negative emotions that people will experience about something you may have posted. Importantly, comments are permanent. Whether or not someone removes or deletes the comment, they are still permanent and exist somewhere. Social media is a permanent public forum. And uh, this is just an example of a um, comment that was posted on a site based on an actual social networking post. Um, Dear emergency registrar, uh, thanks a million for misdiagnosing my patient's perforated bowel as constipation and treating aggressively with laxatives. I'm sure she appreciated the subsequent cardiac arrest and multi-organ failure. Don't worry, she just needs a new set of kidneys and a liver and she'll be right. And with that kind of performance, I'm sure you can help her acquire them. Kind regards, lowly intern. Regardless of this, if this post is deleted or the person has written this during feeling emotionally reactive, this remains permanent. So, as a budding health professional, it is important that you consider your, social, your socially constructed identity online. One way to consider your online actions is to think about netiquette. Netiquette is an acronym that reflects appropriate characteristics of positive social networking comments. Things to ask yourself when posting. Is the comment necessary? What makes it necessary? Is the comment true? Is it inspiring and encouraging? What makes this comment useful for the diverse audience? Is this comment appropriate considering other comments that have been made? And does this comment in 
demonstrate empathy for others. Netiquette is essential for health professionals because of the complex, complex interaction between professional and your personal identity. And an example, Amanda Francis was a registered nurse who was actually fired after posting this online. So sleepy here in ICU, will someone please code and give me something exciting to do? Again, why I'm also harping on about this is because your online persona as a health professional is very important. Health professions and health services are connected with a range of emotions. You were dealing with health, people's mental health, people's physical health. And for that matter, they can be very sensitive topics. Social media presents health professionals with an extensive interface for providing information to clients and patients. And this can also provide continued meaningful relationships with patients, clients. They can provide updated healthcare information research that they find interesting, tips about physical or mental health. But social media also then requires the health professional to very well consider how they are presenting themselves online. Advantages of the health professional using social media is that they can provide current information, immediate advice to patients and clients, they can provide recent research outcomes, information, support and empowerment, and they can also help reduce feelings of isolation in patients or clients. But there are challenges. Some of the challenges include how you present yourself. Also the challenge of maintaining professional boundaries online. Although they might be able to provide information and instantaneous support, what are the boundaries a health professional must keep online? So for example, how would you handle the following situation? You get a friend request on a social networking site from someone whose name sounds very familiar, but they have a photo of a dog as their profile picture. You accept the request. After looking through their profile page, you realize that it is actually one of your previous patients. The patient sends you a message to let you know that they cannot make their next clinic appointment, but would like to know their histology results from a test ordered when the patient was in hospital. The patient also throws in a cheeky comment about some photos they saw of you wearing swimmers at the beach. How would you handle this situation? Would you unfriend the patient? Would you explain before you had unfriended them? Would you continue to remain friends and put them on private or block limited view? Recruiters are increasingly screening potential employees online. And this is another reason why your professional image online is very important. In a recent report, one-fifth and also to two-thirds of employers conducted internet searches, including conducting internet searches of potential applicants on their social networking sites. Some organisations even reported turning down applicants as a result of these searches. Therefore, again, it is important to be conscious of your online image, not just for clients and patients, but potential employers in the future, Material that portrays you in an unprofessional or controversial light can be detrimental. And real life examples 
of this happening to health professionals include an employer who turned down an applicant after discovering that they had used Facebook to criticize previous employers and disclose company information, a doctor who missed out on the job because the doctor's online activities revealed an interest in witchcraft, and a female psychiatrist who failed to gain employment after a recruiting agency found explicit pictures on MySpace of her intoxicated. Whether you feel that it is right or wrong that these companies judge people by these actions, the fact remains that they still do. So as the final task for this electronic communication lecture, what I would like you to do is to consider these questions. As constructing your professional identity online, these questions might help. Have you ever Googled yourself? What have you found? Are you comfortable with the results that are shown? Have you previously posted information about a patient or a person from your workplace on Facebook? Have a look through your old blogs. Have you added patients or clients as friends on Facebook? Do you have people from your workplace as friends? Have you made a public comment online that could be considered offensive? Are you fans or do you like any group that could be considered racist, sexist or otherwise derogatory? Have a look at the groups that you like. Remove yourself from any groups that you could see that could be interpreted as offensive. Ensure that the things or groups, people that you like, are an accurate reflection of the person you are and the values you hold. Have you put up photos or videos of yourself online that you would not want patients, clients, employers, or people from your workplace to see? Importantly, have you checked your privacy settings on Facebook? Have you felt that a friend has posted information online that could result in negative consequences for them? Working together now as health professionals as well, it is important to also be aware of each other posting these things, letting each other know if something could be considered potentially harmful. And that's the end of lecture 11.